Hello and welcome to the Don't Break the Oath Halloween Special with returning guest and author Vala Ventura. Now some of you may remember Vala from a previous episode that she came on to talk about fairies with me uh, and she's returning today to talk about some other tales uh, from werewolves to vampires which you know we thought would be suitable for Halloween. Uh, I must just point out that we are recording with a couple of episodes uh, ahead, so obviously our new recording stuff, new mics and that, won't be featured on the next couple of shows because it's pre-recorded. So just bear that in mind. Big thank you to everybody that subscribed and told a friend. You know, our numbers are increasing every week, so you guys must be spreading the word, so we can't thank you enough for that. Uh, And Mr McDermott, thank you very much for your donation. Very generous. And that will go towards uh, our recording studio, which we are building at the moment. Which you know, will take a bit of time, but we'll get there. So every everything like that, you know, buy a t-shirt, that kind of stuff, anything like that helps us massively. We can't thank you enough. Uh, so thank you again, Mr. Dermot. Uh, right, so we get on with the show. I give you Vala Ventura. Happy Halloween. There's real, and then there's, are you actually going to run into one? And so I, I think, you know, there's a, there's a difference between what you're going to see when you're out walking and you're looking and what might come to you in the middle of the night or what, what was once real and perhaps is now more elusive. You know, for me, the creature I struggle with belief in the most is Bigfoot. Mm-hmm. And that is actually something that a lot of people who don't even believe in ghosts seek after. And I just, I have a, you know, it's not that I completely dis, I believe that there's Bigfoot like creatures. I just don't believe most of the accounts that people put out about them. I just don't think Bigfoot would even bother most of the time. We mm. run away. We've had, we've had, we've had, we've had people on the show, haven't we, and said, you know, that some are physical, and sometimes they says, no, they're interdimensional. Mm. You know, they they come in and out of frequency, and oh, you know. So, I think we're getting kind of a mixed bag, maybe more than one uh, race or species, aren't we? Really, yeah. same with the dog. Sure. Man. Same yeah. with the dog, sure. man, I think, as well. So, it's a bit, uh, yeah, the Bigfoot. I mean, there's a lot of sort of evidence that points towards a Bigfoot. So that's really where I sort of. I know. Yeah. I know, but I don't know what it is. It's just, I just don't believe, I know me of all people, I'm Mm. like a Bigfoot skeptic of of all the things, right? It's like, oh, that lady believes in mermaids and she doesn't think Bigfoot's (laughs) real. What's wrong with her? I'm I'm with you on the old, you know, know, feeding them apples and all that, playing them flute (laughs) music. I think that's all, that's pretty bullshit. Yeah, definitely. And I wouldn't say, Cornelius creatures real. Yeah, I wouldn't say that. No. So, um, should we start with, um, I don't know, how good your memory? Because it was a while ago since you wrote the werewolf book, wasn't it? Yeah, so it's, you know, fairly good. I, I mean, uh, Bigfoot's actually a good segue into into werewolves because werewolves I find to be much more credible. Yeah. <laughs> do you think it's, uh, you know, what what people call the dogman these days, do you think, you know, the, the, the werewolf I, I, mythos yeah. comes from? Yes, yeah, so I, I, I kind of, um, like... Those creatures, I, I sort of lump those all into the idea of, of werewolves, modern day werewolves. And you know, one of the, 
just to dive right into it, one of the reasons that werewolves are the most convinced, now I've always been fascinated with werewolves. I love, I grew up on all the classic horror movies. I love all the, you know, I love vampires. I love werewolves. I love Frankenstein. You know, all these kind of like classic horror icons. But uh, werewolves, when I was researching the book, I, I came upon this massive volume of work by a man who was, um, he was an English reverend, I think in the mid-1800s, his name was Sabine Baring Gould, and he wrote, I'm probably saying his name wrong, but he wrote Onward Christian Soldiers, so that's like his sort of bombastic legacy, um, you know, just kind of what he's most well known for, and he was a pretty hmm. prolific writer, but one of his, I guess, a side project, a lesser-known side project of his was researching werewolves. And he traveled around, um, especially in parts of Scandinavia and Northern Europe, and he recorded a lot of what people were saying about werewolves, what their practices were, what their, you know, what their beliefs and rituals were. And sort of, sort of like Yeats did traveling around Ireland and recording the, the, the fairy tales from the quote unquote peasantry. Um, so this guy was doing that and he, he, he got, you know, he was a, also a philosopher. So his, this is a very, very large volume of work. It's probably, I mean, I did, I read it on the, in the, on the Gutenberg library website because it's not available to my knowledge in print. So, I mean, I'm sure there's some volumes out there that were printed, but it's a very, 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 I'd say it's probably 800 pages. And it's thick with, you know, um, <laughs> mid-19th century language. So it's not exactly like, oh, a really relaxing But there's a lot of amazing information in there. And he goes from retelling stories to actually getting into kind of the philosophy behind werewolves. And so he has this whole section that's that's about, you know, how how we can I forget what the title of the chapter is, but it's something like, you know, that we all have the propensity to become werewolves. And this is the part that like kind of really blew my mind when I was thinking about werewolves because he's talking about so it always debated, here's the werewolf, right? And the werewolf always seems somewhat out of control. The vampire is cursed, but the werewolf has this sort of thing that they know is going to happen to them. They transform, and most often they can't control their behavior. And then, you know, in one instance, I put a story in my book about this very sweet romantic werewolf who loved this woman and would remove himself from the village uh, at the full moon so that he wouldn't transform and destroy her and kill her family. So he knew he had this thing that was coming and he would just sort of remove himself. Yeah. So, um, so anyway, so Sabine Baring Gold gets into this idea that we all, if, and if you have ever been so mad that you've seen red, if you've ever been so angry or outraged over something that you feel so you, you can't even see straight. You're just furious. You you actually have this ability kind of like you're you're transforming in that moment. And maybe this is why it wasn't published, but he also talks about like pregnant women and hormones okay. and how Ooh. they can have that same yeah, it's like slippery slope there, buddy. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. You know, <laughs> but he you know, he talks about that sort of transformation that you have this this fury. And serial killers have this fury and they don't 
have control over it. And he actually sort of equates this transformation and that that shift, that shape shift, if you will, of a normal person or a somewhat regular human being into a ferocious beast or to exhibit ferocious beast-like behavior. Uh, and he says, we all have the capacity for that. Mm. And that actually totally freaked me out. I thought, oh my, yes, I have had, I have had those moments. I have not picked up a knife or felt like killing someone, but I have had moments of so blind rage and anger where I literally only see red. The whole room turns red. I mean, it hasn't happened much in my life, but it has happened. It takes a lot. You know, generally I'm pretty easy going, but I mean, I think, you know, we probably all have something that would trigger that sort of response in us, whether it's our, a loved one being threatened or, you know, somebody doing something so outrageous. Yeah. And so well, that, that changed that... my view of, of werewolves and whether, how, how real they were. Hmm. Well, I, I mean, is it on a, is it on a quite a telling point there? Because obviously going back into history, we have the Vikings who, who were known to have these berserkers. Uh, right. These fellas, I mean, you're pretty sure you're aware, but these guys would go into battle almost in a trance. But they'd, before they'd go into battle, a lot of times they would go into battle without any armor on. Mm. Um, yeah. But they'd go in mm. there with an animal skin on, normally a wolf. So we're talking skinwalkers. Yeah, again, right. that, you know, in the native culture, we get this, a similar sort of yeah. tale, don't we? But, yeah, that's right. But yeah, the, the Norse used to, what they used to do, they used to put this thing on, they used to go in there in a rage, and that's where we get the yeah. word berserk now. Uh, right. They were called berserkers. Mm. Uh, Right, called, and, uh, there's, Ulf, Ulf, and there's Ulf, some Ulf, evidence well. that they they took, like some people say, oh, they must have taken this substance or, you know, they took something to like really get, but they would get themselves. Then there's other people who say, no, there really isn't any evidence to suggest that they were taking some kind of like psychotrope or something like that, but that, you know, sort of like primitive PCP. But they were, what they were doing is they were tapping into that rage and that energy and they would terrify mm. their, you know, anyone they were going into battle with because, yeah, they had these crazy, you know, furs on and they were, they were painted. They were just huge and insane and just like going all out. And, you know, I mean, that's that that idea of kind of going berserk. So they would kind of tap into that that rage and that energy. Yeah, that, that going back to sort of an animalistic nature, you know? Most like they right. kind of a beforehand they might have done a ritual again it's all you know ritual something like you know the base sure. strength or a wolf has got you know uh, so yeah. pro- pro- prowess and you know speed and kill and so again it's it's kind of a ritual isn't it so mm. just like i say it's just interesting how it seems to we get the same story all around the world you know this kind of you know he talks about skinwalkers it's just you know similar yeah. thing and then you've got the, like the luguru so but I see, we, right I mean, and the, even in Go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, so we're getting these reports all over the world now, you know, as you've been saying on the werewolves, but these 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 people actually transform. You know, it's mm. actually, they've got yeah. the rage, the, the actual, ah, what they are, you know, they're that's actually... The, that's the difference between a werewolf yeah. and, and, like, a dog. So is, what is, we've got to see is, are these real people sure. that turned into a, a, a creature? You know, these are not, or, or are they... Or just, are they cryptids or cryptids. mythological? Yeah. yeah. Are they, are mm. they supernatural? Have they gone over that line? I mean, I don't know that we'll, it, that we'll ever know. I mean, the no. werewolf traditionally is a, you know, 
a, a, a human that is transformed. But I do think, um, you know, one thing we're talking about how, you know, we see this all over the world and we see pagan cultures all over the world putting on animal skins and doing rituals that, you know, yeah. I'm sure the Romans thought were quite strange. And so part of what we have in the historical record is a very convoluted fear-based description of something that was used to better a community. So I think that's very interesting as well because, you know, you have someone's peering around the rock going, oh my God, they're putting on these things and there's, you know, there's a werewolf and he's chasing him around and it's dark and you're in this unknown, you know, you've never been there before and you're set to task to convert everyone or whatever is happening. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you're, you're kind of, your account is based in a fear and a lack of understanding. And so in that way, we still, we still have that today with werewolves, dogmen, other cryptids is that, you know, we we are a you know we like to kind of seek out fear. We're we're kind of looking for that thrill, and so so many of our accounts are coming from a place of fear or a place of um, you know maybe sensationalism rather than a, a an experience that it's it's different. Like if you were to have say a ghost in your room. You know, you you think you might be afraid, but so often you have those experiences and they're they're almost normal when they're happening in that moment. And you don't really have the fear until it kind of passes and you realize what just happened. And I think that with, you know, these accounts of something loping alongside the, the road or the beast of Bray Road. I mean, that's a, that's yeah, that's a, a, a road right in Wisconsin. Yeah. And yeah. that's... um not that far from me. I have not been on that road, but you do have, you know, you have, not only do you have the story of it, but then you have the legend of it. And so now you're sort of driving really slowly and maybe that, that, you know, lumpy log suddenly looks a lot more like a werewolf. So you, you know, um, just slightly off topic, but on topic, I, um, started a podcast of my own and I recently just called tales of the strange and I'm going state by state in the United States right now. And I just interviewed Seth Breedlove. If you know his work, he, he does a series of um, documentaries called small town monsters. And I was Uh, interviewing him about the boggy Creek monster down in um, Arkansas. But he said that he has two more movies coming out and one of them is about Ray Road. So that's exciting yeah. to look forward to. <laughs> I, I just find it fascinating with these. I mean, I mean, you know, I think it was last year when you told me about this dogman, and I didn't know what a dogman was until I started my research and listened to other people. I think I've come to my conclusion now is that some of these, because I think there's more than one species. It's not just one. I think there's more, but I think quite a lot of these are they're very intelligent and very very psychic, and I think they go from realm to realm. I think they can go from frequency to frequency. Some, some of them, not all of them. So, because you know, some accounts was where they they here and also they just disappear. So, you know, I think there's some that can actually go through the frequencies or the realms. Mm. So, where do these creatures come from? You know, That's again, the with the fairies, the gnomes, the elves. I mean, they're on a different frequency or a different level. So, sure. it's, it's right. quite obviously, where do these creatures come from? And you know, it's, it's, it's very strange. So. And also, like, if you're not everyone sees them, yeah. you have to be, not only do you have to be in the right place at the right time, but you have to be the right person. 
Not yeah. everyone. You can a, believe in these things your whole life and never see them, you know, and you can you can write about them and you can seek them out and you may never have that experience. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's that second sight. It's that psychic ability that many of us have and don't realize or recognize. And many people in the paranormal community maybe haven't even quite tapped into their full potential but they're drawn to it for one reason or another mm. you know we're drawn to the ghost stories because there's something in us that you know it, maybe you're suppressing that you saw a ghost when you were three or any any number of things like that so they definitely that whole supernatural realm it's i, I like to say especially with fairies that you <laughs> i yeah. think i might have even said this last time but you you uh witches can see them with effort Children can see them all the time, and they can be seen on accident by drunks. So <laughs> yeah. that's kind of <laughs> yeah. depends, depends what they're drinking. Same as same yeah. UFOs and, and how all much. Sorts of yeah. Things. yeah. yeah. <laughs> So, um, yeah, I, I think possible that they now see when they turn up, they they could be quite surprised that we see them. Mm. You know, was that account for in it? I think it was America a couple of years ago. I was, I was listening to, and this guy was working inside his computer early hours of the morning, and he knew there was something wrong. He just got terrified, really frightened, frightened. A dogma was at the window, just watching him, you know. So he picked up that a dogma was outside the window. So you know, it's it's again, it's it's this uh, sense. So um, we got so go on. Right. Then, let's let's have um, let's have your your favourite werewolf story then. My favourite werewolf story. Okay, so I actually really I had mentioned earlier there's a there's a short story I included it in my book and it's by a man named Eugene Field, and it's a really, really sweet werewolf story. And I kind of liked it because Eugene Field was known for uh, writing children's books, sweet children's books with beautiful sort of Maxfield Parish-like illustrations. And then he has this werewolf story. And, you know, it's just not as well known. So I kind of, I like that. Um, and that story is just that it is your absolute classic, you know, gave gave birth to the sort of Lon Chaney idea of a werewolf where this werewolf is otherwise a, you know, handsome, you know, upstanding citizen who has this disease and he sort of has to kind of hide it away at certain times in order to make sure that he does not um, destroy the woman and that he loves and the village that he loves. But one of my favorite kind of short, more like historical stories is about this woman who is accused of, she's accused of being a werewolf. Um, I'm going to just see if I can find it in the book here because it's pretty brutal. Uh, <laughs> otherwise yep. I'll just recap it. So it's basically okay, it's this Halloween. woman. Yeah, it's, it's Halloween. So it's, yeah. it's perfect. Let's see. Yep. Okay. Well, I'll just recap it. Cause I, I don't see it here, but it's basically a 16th century werewolf story. And what happens is this woman, much, much, you know, in the 16th century and the 17th century, we had lots of people being accused of being witches. And if you weren't accused of being a witch, you might be accused of being a vampire or even a werewolf. And in this instance, we had a woman who probably was subjected to spousal abuse over a number of years. And as the story goes, she was found in the morning and her husband had been dismembered. So he had, you know, limbs sort of strewn about and he had been stabbed a number of times. Mm. So he wasn't just killed. He was like, you know, yeah. triple yeah. killed uh, in a just rage. Just to make sure. 
Yeah. And she was a fairly slight woman and not particularly known for having a bad temperament. And when they found her, she was sort of just sitting there in a daze with his blood all over her hands. And they said, what happened? And she said, I don't really know. And they found on her, according to the legend, according to the, um, you know, witch master general or whoever it was, who was the constable at the time, they found on her a little pouch. And in this pouch, there were three claws and a tuft of hair or something, something like that. So it was a little sort of charm that proved, of course, that's evidence that she was a werewolf and was transformed into a werewolf, killed him in a bloody rage. And that also explained why she didn't remember it the next day. And of course she was, she was tried and hanged. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> I shouldn't laugh, but you know. <laughs> no, yeah. I don't think there was any parole Classic. in the days, was there? What, if, uh, <laughs> if people had a look in my missus's handbag, she was a werewolf as well. <laughs> based on, based on that, you know, <laughs> a couple of feathers. And <laughs> fucking yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. That, you know, that, you look at my purse and you'd days. probably yeah. hang me based on, yeah, yeah. what's yeah. stuck in the bottom of my bag. Yeah. <laughs> so, no. um, yeah, but there's so, a lot of stories like that. I didn't, I didn't include them all in my, um, in my book, but I found several kind of old tales like that about, you know, just complete, mm. complete mayhem and, you know, accusations of, um, yeah, and, and sometimes you'd be a witch and a werewolf or a witch would be blamed for transforming you into yeah, a werewolf yeah. so that was always and then there are you know there are some theories about what actually caused some of those werewolf-like symptoms you know poisoning and we we know now that ergot poisoning was responsible for you know the, the witch craze um in the 1600s or people basically ingested this mold that was on the bread and it mm. caused people to have hallucinations and they were saying oh women are flying on brooms and they're mm. slaughtering cattle and you know all these kinds of things were happening and it kind of fed into that fury and at the same time we had that um happening with people you know a- accusing others of being werewolves or vampires and things um so that was and then you know we also have in in parts of scandinavia they they have something that they call um lycanthropic streams which i always thought was the coolest thing ever and there's a guy named elliot o'donnell who was an irish writer and part of a paranormal society in the early 1900s and a really interesting guy and he wrote a lot of amazing stuff about he was one of the few people who wrote during that time who wasn't a skeptic. I mean, even mm. William Butler Yeats was a skeptic when it came to some of these like fairy things. But he had had many paranormal experiences when he was a child. So he came at it from a very different point of view and was kind of a professional ghost hunter before it was, you know, trendy to be a ghost hunter. Yeah, yeah. And he did some work on werewolves as well. And he talked about these streams in Scandinavia that would turn you into a werewolf. And then there were plants that were antidotes to that. And today you think about that and you know, you're just not supposed to drink the stream because it, water from the stream, because it can give you some kind of poisoning. And um, now that brings to mind, however, the question if you are ingesting something that is altering your state, does that make that experience less valid or are you actually seeing something you wouldn't be able to see otherwise? Is something being revealed to you in that state? And that is a, you know, that's a whole other topic for 
whether or not you will take um, evidence from someone who perhaps has gone into a trance or been mm-hmm. into an altered state and what they see. Mm, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, but would it be possible, though, to transform, say, that you had a basic frame, a physical human frame, to turn into a seven, eight foot, you know, but what if you just kind believe, of uh, creature? You just, I mean, you, you you believe, tear you apart, wouldn't it? What if you physically? believe you've changed, though? Well, that's a, so that's a again, whole other thing too, I mean, right? You, you have, you do have people who there's still a um, medical diagnosis today called lycanthropy, where people believe that they mm. have transformed into mm. a werewolf and they'll be institutionalized for it. And you know, then you have people with um, hormonal uh, imbalances that cause an excessive amount of hair, and so they were accused of being werewolves. And, you know, but yeah, to, yeah. I mean, I can't really answer, could that be, I mean, I hope that's possible. I mean, that's what makes it all exciting, yeah, right? <laughs> that it's actually, uh, possible that, the, and, and werewolves are, werewolves kind of, unlike many of the other cryptids that you read about, you know, you, werewolves in particular are the ones that are the most likely to have started as humans or have been sort of, a human who, you know, moves on. I mean, you have vampires and they say that there's a certain curse or you, you know, you get the, the bite of a vampire and you share this blood disease and it, you know, the, you become a vampire yourself. But with werewolves, there's a, almost a sort of like, oops, I stumbled on, on the wrong thing. And, and now I was this, you know, pretty regular guy. Um, but in, in, um, Parts of the, especially, so right now I'm, I live in the United States in sort of the upper Midwest, and there are a number of stories from this area, uh, from the indigenous people who lived here about, um, kind of the original werewolf legends, and that the werewolves actually came from, there was a, a group who was starving, and they were basically, they, they, went out and they they met the great spirit and the spirit said okay i'm going to give you two the ability to become werewolves and with this ability you will be able to hunt and you will be able to uh you know save everyone from starvation but the one thing you cannot do is turn upon another human being you cannot just use this shape-shifting power, this magic power that I'm giving you. You can't just use this willy-nilly. You can only use it to hunt. Okay, fine. So time goes on. There are these wonderful hunters. Everybody loves them. You know, they're feeding their tribe. Everything's going fairly well. And then one day, you know, one of the two, of course, they're young men. So one of the two gets very jealous of something, and he gets into a fight with one of the other young men in the group. And he transforms into a werewolf at the wrong time and uses it to sort of strike this guy down. Well, almost immediately, they are banned from the group, both of them, even though it was really only one of them. You know, you always get punished yep. for the one, one bad apple. Yeah, and, they were yeah. sent in, <laughs> and they were sent into the woods uh, to live and basically live a life of solitude. And so uh, only occasionally when they would, you know, be missing their loved ones, you would hear them sort of howl and they sounded just like the wolves. And eventually you couldn't tell them apart from the pack of wolves, uh, except for their eyes. So that was kind of, that's actually one of the original werewolf stories of how werewolves 
came in、mm. the United States. It's kind of sad and sweet at the same time, but there is a magical, supernatural element to that. That again, we have a tendency to dismiss that as、yep. as valid, but you know, I mean, that that's that's the origin of it、yep. all, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I've always said, you know, everything's magic anyway. Everything, you know, you, know, you live and breathe. That's magic,、no. right? Just the the very right, way your body functions yeah, it's magic. <laughs> is magic.、Uh, Yeah, so yeah, um, which is now then?、Uh, which is valor?、Um, is it something you've come across? Any stories of witches, or obviously there's different? Oh yes, you know. oh I love witches. I was raised by a witch, so I have a particular fondness for witches. Now I don't identify as a Wiccan or as a formal、uh, witch in any kind of religious sense, but my mother was always a Um, you know, she's an occultist. She taught me to read tarot cards and do lucid dreaming without even meaning to. She knows a lot about herbs, and she just sort of lives a witchy lifestyle without necessarily、um, identifying in a in a formal fashion. So,、um, yeah, I mean, now witches are interesting because there's not there's not really a werewolf religion, right? I mean, maybe there is, and I don't know about it. There are some vampire religions. There probably is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Called Twilight Fan Club or something. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. You get, But you get a doggy bag and a free badge, don't you? That's what it is. <laughs> yeah. You just put this wig on, you'll fit right in. Yeah, yeah.、Um, and there are some vampire religions. There are people who practice psychic vampirism or who practice as living vampires, and they admittedly,、um, in part of their sort of magical. Their magical approach to the philosophy and the religion—it is a glamorous approach.、Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm actually speaking with someone tomorrow night about his kind of, you know, vampire 101. And he's one of the heads of like this big clan of vampires, and they put on these balls and they get dressed up, and and you know, they—it's sort of generally open to the public, but it's really at its core there are these people who operate. On the understanding that they identify more with the vampire and the vampire culture, and the sort of you know, there's a whole iconography that goes along with it. You know, t- living in the twilight versus the daylight, and they refer to you know, sort of like the way we might say like a muggle. You know, it's like our our our、um, human muggle sort of relatives, and、yep. those are the, your daylight relatives, and then you have your twilight clan, and those are the people. You know, those are your people, right? So that so there is that sort of thing now, but but what with witches it really sets them apart because witchcraft has such a cult following and so many different facets of it. You know, you have people like you know people like Sybil Leake and Ray Buckland who both came from England and then came over to the United States and introduced an old way of witchcraft to a bunch of hippies who are like, oh yeah. We can totally identify with this. This makes sense. This is living with the earth, and this is part of you know what we understand. And so, unlike many other sort of you know supernatural creatures, witches are the most real and actually have their own sort of many different kind of. They're they're they have a religious path, unlike many other. Of these, you know, you know how like the, the Bigfoot clan or the werewolf clan, as we were saying. So, not that they're all the same. I'm not lumping. Not not all witches are Wiccan, and I'm not lumping them all together by any means. But unlike many other sort of 
um, you know, these sort of supernatural kind of dark entities, the witches, witches have this, their own reverence and magic has its own reverence. And, and thankfully, you know, it goes, it does go in cycles, but there's something that, you know, that sort of Harry Potter phenomenon that helped younger generations understand at a very young age, how important magic and witchcraft yeah. is. And so instead of being afraid of it, it's revered. And I personally, I've heard a few grumblings in the, you know, deep Wiccan community, but I personally, you know, the more witchcraft that's out there, the better, you know, witches really get a bad rap. They're always called their Satanists or they're yeah. doing, you know, that's a Hollywood this or call, that. Isn't it? The move is. Yeah. And yeah. quite the opposite. I mean, if Proper you've ever met a real yeah. witch, I mean, they're, they're just all about healing. They're all about, you know, alternative medicine and taking care of their community, and yeah, they might, you know, they might fuck with you a little bit. It's it's kind of you know, mm. you don't if you if you know how to do it, it's hard to resist. You know, the occasional little light hex or something like that. But I think um, yeah. So I I have a lot of you know everything from just classic stories about witches. I mean, I have like quite a collection of sort of witch stories. And in every fairy tale, there's a witch somewhere yeah. in there. That's the one who trapped you in the tree or turned you into a toad. Um, there's, so the witch just has this wonderful kind of, um, you know, over-the-top power, very omnipresent kind of transform any plot line <laughs> into, uh, you know, in any situation, it can, can be changed. And they, they're probably the most domesticated form of magic that we have. Yeah. Again, it's very interesting. So you got the, the, the witches, but the things which said about, I know there's a few programs about, but warlocks, you know, male witches. So it's always, it's always the, the, the women into it, the females, but not the, I know, you know, you get... Yeah, I know quite a few. I, I know quite, and, and, and actually many men that I know that practice witchcraft just identify as witches. Yeah, not warlocks. And, and they don't like to be, but you know, we like to say warlocks because we're so gender specific and we don't, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. don't want anyone thinking we're running around <laughs> in a skirt or something, you know, God forbid that a man should wear a skirt. So well, we have, you know, certain terms. Priest yeah, does it. Yeah. He wears a skirt. He wears a frock. Yeah. He wears he a dress. It. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> In fact, if you've seen some of those, you know, those images of some of the early, especially the Roman Catholic yeah, kind yeah. of outfits, I mean, those look more like pointy hatted hat witch hats than than uh, anything, you know. So you kind well, that, of see this crossover there. Yeah, the, the, it's actually it was the mitre because the, if you if you look at the hat itself, it looks like it's a, a fish head, you know, a, yeah. a, like a fish head that comes actually from Babylon times. Um, the Vatican, still today, they don't um, worship Jesus or anything like that. Never have done. They worship a fish god called Dagon, and that's this is why they've got the fish head, you know. So it's actually oh, worship right. a, a being called Dagon. They still do it today, mind you. The Vatican right. is uh, again not a very nice place, but you know, <laughs> you know that, that's There's my that's my view. I'm afraid that's, not, that's my belief. If you're, a little, if you're a little boy, yeah, yeah, well, yeah, you, yeah. <laughs> or a woman with any power, forget yeah, it. You're yeah, basically, yeah. Well, uh, you have to, 
That's what the pre- that's what the priest is doing, really, isn't it? Because he's wearing, wearing a frock, he's actually taking uh, the power from a woman. Yeah, that's so too, right. too scary for Halloween, I think. Going that. <laughs> yeah, that's not the kind of scare we want. Yeah. But certainly, so, uh, yeah, no, it's very interesting because y- you also have the idea that, you know, this portrayal of the witch as this kind of hideous hag that... Yeah. Yeah. You know, ambles along the road and is just kind of there to scare you. And, and, and the truth is, is that we want to look at beautiful things. We don't want to look at our own mortality. And so <sighs> when people look at an old woman, they instantly think, hag, old woman, bad, I'm going to yeah. die one day. And so we have, we could, you know, we portray these beings as something sort of, you know, hideous instead of, just being a natural part of life and, you know, just as anything will age and wrinkle and eventually die, um, you know, seeing old people or seeing someone who is a little bit different. Maybe your eye is wonky or, you know, anything that doesn't fit that conventional idea of beauty. And that has been the case much longer than just, you know, Hollywood. That has been the case. I mean, that is kind of at the core of the witch craze and the witch trials is that yeah. these sort of single, um, you know, women with with land who didn't fit the norms of society and probably, and many of them were witches. People came to them for, you know, knowledge about what do I take because I don't want to have this baby or what can I do to make him, you know, look at me when I walk through the market or whatever kind of, little charms and things. I mean, these were the women who were the herbalists and, and men, there were, there were men as well yep. that understood this. And, you know, so then that person becomes immediately the scapegoat and the most vulnerable member of society. Also, they probably have like a big chunk of land or something else that someone wants. Yeah. Otherwise right, they're left uh, untouched. Right. Yeah. Certainly an easy way to um, get what you wanted. Why don't you just say, Oh, she did this. She cast a, Spell on me and off. Well, this is, I think this is what we're, we're and it's still religion still does it today is to actually to you know uh, dumb people down and keep you know uh, you know I mean them people in them days could have been psychic mediums you know right. and, and beautiful people and work with the Mother Earth nature and with the, with their energies and that but to the, to to the religion they were a threat. You know, it couldn't right. be seen as that. So, <laughs> right, it's no accident that so many conventional religious holidays fall ever so close to traditional pagan holidays. Yeah. If you can't beat them, join them. Yep. Okay. So mm. instead of okay, you want to have this little celebration, and many people would, you know, for example, the solstice, they would go to church. Uh, because they didn't want to be harassed. And so they would go to church on the, you know, evening of the 24th of December and they would light their candles. But inside they were like, yeah, this is the solstice. We're like lighting the candle that we would have, we would have lit anyway. So you're kind of having your rituals at the same time. And you certainly have this a lot in the UK where churches were built directly on top of ley lines, uh, ley lines and yeah. places that were of significant um, magical importance to yep. people who lived there before, um, you know, before the Roman Catholic and the, you know, the religious had, uh, or transformation. We actually uh, met with Maria, Maria Wheatley, didn't we? Oh, I, I, you know what? I yeah, listened to that show. Oh. I love, I love I loved her. She's amazing. Yeah, she's, she's fantastic, absolutely amazing. Maria. And she's so knowledgeable and she has such a such a comprehensive understanding of both the archaeological and historical record 
and the mystical and magical under you know so many so many times you only get one of those points of view and it's yeah, it's, yeah I mean, it's just it opened my eyes a bit because when she was on about the uh, druids when the romans came and they went straight to kill the druids didn't they the first protocol was the druids take them out right yeah, take, them just, out. take them out take them out they got power <laughs> yeah that's it take them out well, that's so, yeah, very similar to what goes on today. Well, yeah. but that's behind well, doors. Yeah. Sure. Well, you you do have that kind of similar epidemic with the with fear. Yeah. With just trying to create fear, which is you know, we are supposed to be afraid of witches. We are supposed to be afraid of the people we don't understand. It's the only way to maintain power is to um, make sure that everybody is afraid enough that they need you to protect them. Yep. That's how you maintain that kind of status of power. So I could say a lot of things about that. I think, um, you know, I live in the United think, States. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, same with us. There's much to fear, but it's probably not the thing you think you're supposed to fear. You know, there's uh, a sort of a reverse, a reverse fear happening absolutely. over here right now. So Absolutely. So, um Moving on then, should we move on to, uh, <laughs> to, one, to one of my favourites? Uh, this is my least favourite. Oh, that's one of my favourites. Your okay. favourite? Yeah, uh, vampires. Oh, nice. Okay, yeah, we can we could go all night with vampires. <laughs> Does your best the best? The reason I don't like vampires is, is I know you're going to speak to some, and I should probably speak to. Uh, should get them on the, should get yeah, them on the yeah, show. I you know, probably speak to some because. You hear these horror stories of these nut jobs who go around to old granny's houses and cut out their hearts and all that because he thinks he's going to live forever and that, and that really just puts me off vampires completely. Well, obviously, well, he's not the vampire, is he? Just well, no, but, he's but, a he psycho, he said, yeah, but he says he, he <laughs> says he, you know, he, he's under the cloak of being a vampire. Well, that could be yeah. something just to get a, a play, to get off, you know, yeah. insanity. But, you know, but that's what that's what does me for vampires. Yeah. But yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm, right, I, I see what, I yeah. see what you're saying. But um, yeah, I'm willing to be. Um, Educated, right, but that's so. <laughs> also like saying, you know, oh, we listen to Marilyn Manson, so that's why, you know, you got a gun and shot up, you know, high school. Oh, yeah. Right? It's it's not, it's it's the individual. But I do, <laughs> yeah, there are <laughs> yeah. vampire stories like that, however. Um, and, you know, if you just think of the most iconic vampire story of them all, which is Dracula. Dracula, you know, Bram Stoker drew upon some, you know, he, he sort of combined some pretty horrific myths, or not myths, but horrific in, uh, people, famous people in, in the past, especially mm. in the sort of Transylvanian area. And one of them was Madame Bathory. Now, I heard a very interesting podcast recently all about her. Now, she was this this woman who had a great deal of power. She had her own castle, and she basically was, you know, she she was not supposed to be in power, but everybody else died, and so it all everything was left to her. So she had this huge castle, and the legend is that she would she would torture, that she was very fond of torture. And so she would have young girls especially come to work on the uh, in the castle and she would torture them like physically torture them not just harass them but cut them and tie them up and do very strange things to them and eventually and she still got she, people to turn up to the job <laughs> well yeah because you know she had all the money i mean it was yeah, that yeah. sort of you know that kind of system where it was like okay well we're going to starve or we're going to go and work in the castle so she <laughs> 
So, so then the, the legend continues that at a certain point, she was also very beautiful. And so this is also, you get that kind of sleeping beauty, wicked stepmother thing going on. Yeah, yeah, where yeah. She wanted to be viewed as the most beautiful. And as she aged, and keep in mind aging then, she was probably 30. As she aged, her waistline began to, began to thicken. She would have these young girls come, and I, she would get sort of obsessed with them. Well, eventually, she began to believe that if she bathed in their blood, she would actually become immortal. Okay. So she, she kind of was combined with Vlad the Impaler, who was this ferocious leader who would, um, you know, take the, the Romany armies out and, you know, he would put the heads of his enemies on pikes and stick them out in front of his castle and yeah. you know, do all these yeah. kind of evil torture. So those kind of legends became combined into this idea that Vlad Dracula was kind of this creepy guy who lived in a castle and, you know, needed blood to survive along with, you know, it's the vampire legend, of course. Recently, I heard something very interesting about Madame Bathory that made me, I couldn't believe I had never thought of this before, but it was on a podcast called Lore, and he kind of got deeper into the legend and talked about how it really, what her status was, and that although there were these legends and the castle was supposed to be haunted and they supposedly found all these things, the only account we have for that are the relatives from the neighboring uh, duchy who came over and took control of that land. It was them, it was their word against hers. Yeah, and right. so some of these, maybe she wasn't very nice to the young ladies, but some of these things may have been embellished. She was actually imprisoned in her own castle and eventually died there. So it was a little bit of that. I started thinking, I never thought of her as, you know, a victim in any way, but how do we know that this was really as bad as all that? But nonetheless, mm. she sort of gave way to that, um, the idea that bathing in blood and consuming, well, she, it, that's not an original idea to that, but that enhanced sort of Bram Stoker's like approach to uh, Dracula and the Dracula legends. Now, blood, of course, I mean, that's been part of it. It's still part of ritual, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, you're drinking the blood of Christ when you're drinking that goblet of red wine. So we know that there's so much attached with that as, um, like, symbolically, as giving us kind of, you know, a sort of life force. So you have vampires that, you know, feed on that in order to recreate a life force. So when you hear about some complete nutter that goes and, like, stabs a heart out or whatever their idea that they're a vampire yes they're very misguided but unfortunately there there are legends that you know give give credence to the idea that that's why at least somebody was accused of being a vampire for doing something like that much like mm. the woman who dismembered her husband and was accused of being a werewolf mm. well, I feel sorry for that guy um <laughs> You know, because you know, if he if he's found, you know, if he's if he's real and what he says right, and he's going to live forever for eating out of Granny's Granny's heart, he's in a jail cell forever, basically. I know, so, right? So yeah, how's that going to work for cursed you? Cursed either way. <laughs> yeah. But the, there are people that I know that identify as vampires in a very different way, and they identify more in the. Um, I mean, we've all heard the term psychic vampire. We've yeah. all experienced psychic vampires. There's people who literally drain you of all of your energy. Mm, and a, 
a good practicing vampire, a good practicing psychic vampire would call somebody like that an irresponsible, unawakened vampire. And that basically, you know, from an outsider, it's like you're a really needy, really highly sensitive psychic person and you are relying on somebody else to feed you their own energy and their own life force. And so you enter into a relationship and it's, it's much like a BDSM relationship where two people are consenting and they are one's the feeder and one's the giver, yep. basically. So you do have, you know, that kind of modern view of vampires where then in order to do that, you can go forth into the world and be the person you're meant to be. And perhaps you use your psychic abilities for good or, you know, you are able to just function in your daily job because you're a sensitive, you're an intuitive, and you never quite are able to um, wrangle all of those feelings without this this aid from, you know, your, I forget what they call it, but it's like your donor, basically. Mm, yeah. Yeah, makes but sense. that's not the kind of vampire you want to talk about, is it? You want to talk about the good old-fashioned, super wicked, totally yeah. awesome vampire, vampire of, you know, yeah, vampire vampire. Yes, the, you want yeah. to talk about the Bela Lugosi kind of. <laughs> well, I, I think probably one of my favorite vampire stories that is um, – so there's two vampire stories when I was writing the book that I that I kind of stumbled upon. One – is the first vampire novel ever written in English. And that was written um, and conceived of at the same night that Mary Shelley came up with Frankenstein. So they were, you know, there was Lord Byron had a doctor who was there that night, his traveling physician who would travel with him. And his name was John William Polidari. And that night when they were sort of, well, it was kind of over a week where it's like, let's see if we can scare each other with a ghost story. Mary Shelley, legend, you know, it's legendary. She had a dream about this mad doctor and she had kind of um, started forming this character. And so she sort of wrote out the bones of Frankenstein. And they all kind of write, wrote different short stories. Let's see, um, Lord Byron was there. Percy by Shelley, Mary Shelley. I think there was another woman there and Polidori was there. And there was, was in Lake Geneva and in Switzerland on this dark and stormy night, right? The lights all go out and they're writing mm -hmm. these ghost stories. And they they were reading from a book of ghost stories. They were trying to scare each other and, and, and they were all writers. So Polidori who fancied himself a writer, but was really a doctor by training, um, actually took the, took kind of the rough draft that, that Byron had come up with that night and he asked his permission if he could run with it, basically. Can I run with this idea? And it was about a kind of this vampire legend. So the, the story itself is not particularly compelling, but what's compelling is the introduction, which I read not knowing anything about it and then kept, this really sounds familiar. Why does this sound familiar? Is he talking about Frankenstein? And then I realized because he doesn't name anyone in his introduction. He just says, M, you know, or blah, blah. So eventually I figured it out. And then, and then I bothered to do a little research and, and realized that it was in fact the same kind of dark and stormy night that Frankenstein was created as well. So that was kind of a cool, and that one's just called the vampire. It's spelled V A M P Y R E. I don't have the whole story in my book because it's really long. 
And it was met with a lot of criticism. Many people thought it was Lord Byron who had written it and actually lied about it because it wasn't that good. But Byron <laughs> insisted that it was Polidori and gave Polidori full credit and full, you know, carte blanche to do what he wanted with it. Yeah, and because, um, because it wasn't that good. <laughs> probably, it's not, yeah. It's like, not my work. Good yeah, so you, it, you never actually know. <laughs> yeah, you never actually know who. Yeah, just uh, sure you can have that. That was crap, yeah. you know. So his yeah. his scraps. But in any case, it became, you know, a pretty a, a pretty significant story in that it was the first vamp- vampire novel published in English, and it was published long before Bram Stoker uh, wrote Dracula. And I'm sure he read this. I'm sure that this was part of the. You know, there are some kind of classic vampire elements to it that many writers um, from there on out built upon. Uh, but the best vampire story I've ever read was actually one of the first vampire stories, and it was published in... it was It's, it's French, and it was published in English in probably... I don't even remember now, but it was, it was late... Eight, it, it was probably early 1800s that it was finally published in the English language and translated properly. Now, it may have been translated prior to that, but it was censored. This was the uh, translation. You know, I mean, the French, I, I think we all know the French have their own sensibility, especially French literature. Yep. It's um, the the morality in French literature traditionally can be quite different and quite looser than some people were comfortable with in Victorian England, certainly, Mm -hmm. and in early Quaker United States, certainly. Um, But nonetheless, it's this beautiful story, and it's called Claremond, or La Morte Amoureuse, and it is basically the story of a man who just when he is about to take the final vows to enter into priesthood, this woman blows into the church and she is just long dark hair and sort of supernatural ethereal looking features and she causes him to question in that one look she causes him to question everything that he has the entire trajectory of his life and i don't want to give away the ending or tell you too much about the story because it's really, really an excellent story. But they go down some some dark roads, and there's a there's a wee bit of necrophilia in there for mm. you, just in time for Halloween. So mm. <laughs> it's got it all, really. You gotta try it. You gotta try it once, aren't you? Well, yeah, <laughs> twice if you like. <laughs> if you can manage it, oh, yeah, I suppose so. But um, all right, should we finish on a banshee story yeah, then? Or banshees. It's going back to the oh, films yeah. again. So, yeah. Well, it's interesting because so much of what I ended up putting in the um, fairy book, I found when I was writing and researching about banshees, and I just sort of like bookmarked things like come back to the pukas and the changelings, um, because I was trying to focus on the banshee. And so many people don't actually know what a banshee is, but of course, what's so amazing about banshees is they straddle that world between fairy and sort of ghost right mm, so yeah yeah more almost are... the, the like the, the they're almost like the the grim reaper sort of uh, yeah the yeah they the right mm. yeah right and they are sort of the harbinger or the portent of death or a grave illness mm. but they in themselves don't necessarily cause great harm directly to you 
uh, unlike maybe like a poltergeist or something like that, they just sort of, when you see them, you basically know bad news is coming, <laughs> right? Bad news <laughs> is on the rise. So, um, yeah, so the Banshee, one of my favorite... Um, see them or hear them. So you can see them or hear them. Some people yeah, yeah. are able to, for both can see and hear them, and other people can only um, will only hear. Like and for some, it will sound like a scream. For others, it will sound like a wail, like a yeah. crying sound. Mm. In fact, many people are sort of lured out to check on what sounds like a woman crying. Mm. And you may have encounters where you'll see sort of an innocent-looking little old lady hobbling down the road who then transforms into the banshee and screams in your face. And then mm. you're like, oh, no, what? Tommy's going to die. So, <laughs> what, what did they say? that <laughs> These people that have seen it, what did they say it looks like? Uh, you know, out, out of the old woman for the most, the most common view is that it is a woman with um, dark hair, and relatively beautiful features, but with something quite off, like glowing eyes and sharp, mm. horrific teeth. Mm. Other... Sounds, like a, sounds like a night out in Cleeforps. Right. <laughs> <laughs> one too many. Yeah. Um, the I think you're account... tripping on yourself. So. One, one too many, or one not enough. <laughs> and then the other with... account is like an old lady that then, yeah. you know, harm something harmless that yeah. then looks, you know, hideous. And then the third most common account is something that looks hideous from the get-go, just like something screaming and horrific that you would run from, usually sort of disembodied or floating, that you don't usually see feet and hands and things like that. And the Banshee will arrive to, originally, the Banshees belong to, like, a family or a place. And so there's a lot of exploration about counterparts to the Banshee, Technically, the banshee itself is Irish and that, you know, an actual banshee, which means like of the fairy mound, is it belongs in Ireland and that they're everywhere else that you have banshee like creatures. They are different names or different entities. That's, you know, that's up for debate that you could say that about many different creatures. And I think, you know, with fairies and things of the fairy realm, you will have a different name for it just in the next village over. And people will call something a goblin that you might refer to as an elf. And you can see that the characteristics are very similar. Or perhaps what is an elf in Scandinavia is more like a gnome in Italy. So, you know, we have just these kind of general terms that we throw around for things. But the Banshee traditionally is is Irish and um, is inherited by people in certain clans or at certain places for example you know a castle or something like that so but that doesn't mean that it everyone in that family can see the banshee and i think it's just a gift of the sight whether or not you're able to see the banshee not everyone can see it then you have warning from around the world that would be thought of much like a, a banshee a ghost that appears to warn you of the death or of um, someone you know coming to harm or you find out there's a car accident that night and it's not necessarily the ghost of that person. I'm not talking about when someone dies and then you see them sitting on the foot of your bed and, you know, you wake up the next day and find out that they've died. We're talking about a specific kind of, you know, the woman in white or a banshee-like creature that appears and warns you of this death. And it's it's really one of the more terrifying creatures because it's it's someone that you love like there's nothing you can do 
but someone that you love is going to die or become extremely ill and you it's not you it's yeah, rarely yeah. you and that's probably the worst feeling in the world isn't it that's not even going to be you it's going to be you know someone, someone you yeah, yeah. yeah you could sort of, yeah i mean you can imagine can't you you wear this whale and you you, you know you then you think oh shit you know someone's going to die but but yeah, it's not you. That, that must yeah, be you're the, like what? But yeah. who? Yeah. I wonder if that's just you know. Wonder if that's just um. Well, some of these can be you know, uh, you know, accidental deaths, I guess. But a lot of these deaths will be reported to be like illness, that kind of thing. So I wonder if it's more psychological than anything. I wonder if it's one of these where we we kind of know in the back of our mind. Mm. And we need Possible. something to to sort of show us it's it's going to happen. It's, yeah. it's an exit. Well, and also a lot of the accounts of banshees were certainly, they were more prevalent during a time when something like a fever would actually wipe out a whole family. Yeah, yeah. Before we had vaccinations and modern medicine to sort of prevent things like scarlet fever, or things that would actually could, you know, rage through a household or a valley and, and you know, kill most people in their path. Mm. I mean, you know, you had women dying in childbirth on a regular basis. And so you would see some association with women dying in childbirth and banshees and also some ideas that the banshee is actually a sort of the the impression left after a woman has died in childbirth or has, you know, killed a child or lost a child at a young age. And that is that wailing and that mourning. And so they're basically appearing to say, you will soon feel the way I feel. You, this, this terror that you're feeling right now is going to be a regular thing because you're going to lose someone that you, that you love the way I did. So there's a lot of association with that kind of, um, just particularly sad form of, yeah. of death. Mm. What's, yeah. the, what's the normal time frame between hearing the whale and, and someone usually, passing away? Usually within like a day. Yeah, yeah, twenty four hours, forty so. hours, two days. Yeah, yeah. that's what it yeah. seems like. Yeah, so right, get your affairs in order. Send your, you know, well wishes. Mm. Tell them you life, love them. Life insurance. <laughs> yeah, life insurance. Yeah. <laughs> Make sure your policy is up to date. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, well, uh, I mean that, that's a good as place as any to end it. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, well, uh, you know, thank you very much for coming on again. Thank you, Vala. It's been uh, fantastic. Fantastic. Well, great. Thank you. I hope we are able to scare people just a little bit in time yeah. for Halloween. Yeah. yeah definitely. <laughs> Do you just want to tell people where they can find you again and mention that podcast again? Oh, yeah. Thanks. Uh, it's VarlaVentura.net. So that's V-A-R-L-A-V-E-N-T-U-R-A.net. And there you will find links to all of my books. My books are available anywhere books are sold. You can get them online. Um, they're widely in print. I think they're distributed throughout the UK, Canada, US, and Australia. So you should be able to get them at a regular little um, brick-and-mortar store if you order them. And uh, the podcast is called Tales of the Strange. And right now we are working on Season 1, Strange America. Um, the first episode is up on my website and should be available. I think it's available for download everywhere but iTunes because they have their little process. You probably know about that. It takes yeah, a little yeah. bit to get get green-lighted there, but that should be within the next week or so. And then the next episode will be up shortly, and we're just going 
alphabetically through the United States of Strange over here. Sounds cool to me. Yeah, absolutely. Great. Well, thank you guys both for having me. It's been delightful.